You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now... TNT analyst Kevin McHale. I tell you what, for Vikings fans, Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Galliot Anderson, stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, Richard Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Here we are once again. The Hang Time Podcast crew coming to you live from the hideout here. Thank you, Smith, from the Hang Time blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker in New York. Langston, what's happening? What's up, man? Nothing much. Lane, uh, Lane is in here dancing. Uh, his Packers won the Super Bowl last night. Uh, Micah's in here smiling, doing his thing. We're all here. Uh, did you watch the Super Bowl? I mean, I know this is a NBA podcast, but we talk about all things here on the Hangtime Podcast. Did That's you? A, it's a big event. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, you know, it's worth worth a couple of minutes of our time, don't you think? I agree. I watched it, and uh, it was a great game. I didn't care who won, but I, I enjoyed the game. I know you were. Cheering for your your guy Rod Woodson. I mean uh, Chuck Woodson. Yeah, it was it was, bitters, it was a bittersweet night, Lang. Uh, everything was great till he cracked his collarbone, and that was in the first half, right? Yeah, that that was like uh, second quarter, yeah. and uh, the rest of the game was a blur. After I was, I was so busy complaining. I was on a message board with other with other Michigan fans complaining, right. you know, about if they didn't win it, how big of you know how screwed up it would be if Chuck didn't get to, get to win a ring, and you know. Everything worked out. Uh, I missed the. I missed all the drama though. Um, wifey was watching the national anthem, and she, you know, she's like screamed when Christina Aguilera, I guess, messed up the anthem. Right. Um, I screamed when they when they showed Christina Aguilera singing the national anthem. Uh, that's why I walked out the room. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, all the pageantry and everything else that goes along with the Super Bowl. Do we have another? I mean, the NBA doesn't have a one game end all be all like that to to kind of, you know, we have a series. You know, Major League Baseball has a series yep. of games. You know, we had Game Seven of the Finals last year, but that's a build up to that game. I mean, can you think of anything else, maybe other than a World Cup that happens every you know four years that matches the Super Bowl in terms of just hype, whether it be you know man made or not? The World Cup's a good example, I think, yeah. because that's I mean the 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 All Star Game for the NBA is one of the big events, but you know that it doesn't have any implication on the season really, and uh, and you know it's not for a title for the championship. 
that's what I think sets the NFL apart. I can't think of a, other than the World Cup, and that's it, but as you said, every four years. So I don't know if there is a, anything else like that once a year. I'm sure we'll get about 25 emails from people being like, you idiots, you forgot about this and that. <laughs> with, the, but, um, uh, with the World Cup, you know, because the U.S., it's not as big here as the rest of the world. But I wonder, like, in Brazil, is that when all the companies put their big commercials it has on? Or... Yeah, it I'm has sure, to be, yeah. It has to be yeah. the I'm, – I'm just saying it's very, it's a very unique thing. Um, you know, because I don't watch – literally, I do not watch commercials. Um, and this is long before – you had the technology to skip commercials and do all this stuff. I didn't watch them then. I mean, I refused to watch commercials. So I'll get up and walk out of the room or do something, you know, run and mess around and do something else, get on the computer or something when the commercials come on. Um, and I remember there was a time when that was the whole point of watching the Super Bowl was all the companies, you know, all the big companies would do these great ads. Uh, and then, like, the day after, people would sit around Talking mm-hmm. about the ads all day, but I haven't heard I haven't heard any chatter about it this morning. They were t- they were talking about them on the news last night after the uh-huh. game. They had like people rating them, and um, I thought some of the Doritos ads were funny. Mm-hmm. But um, I, yeah, I don't. I kind of got the same feeling that it wasn't. It's not like it used to be as far as you have to see the ads, or you're going to be left out of like the national conversation the next day. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I, you know, we'll. We'll get another chance to do it all over again next year. Congratulations <laughs> to the Packers and my man Charles Woodson getting his Super Bowl ring finally. Uh, on to basketball, of course. Uh, did you watch? I, I, I did like that there was the game yesterday at two thirty. The <laughs> I know that's what I was going to say. Like very nice warm up. That know, was great for uh, you know what you had to do last night. Did you? Is it is it me or Micah? You know, Lang. Have you guys? Have you noticed that? The Orlando Magic, there's something seriously wrong with that team now. That you know they made that trade, and everybody assumed this was going to make them better. They had a nice little stretch, you know, where they they got rolling. But now, I mean, is it me or seriously, something is wrong with that team? It's, they don't look like they have an extra gear anymore. I agree. I, I don't think I don't know if it's seriously wrong. I, I do. Yeah, they're not playing well right now. But um, I thought Dwight had a great quote after the game where he was like, "You know what? We can only get better." And 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 that's not a bad place to be for yeah. a team that's uh, you know got Dwight Howard. They're twelve games over five hundred. I know. You know? I feel- um, but yeah, they should be playing better than, than they are right now. I think. I feel bad whipping them. You know, I mean, I I just I don't know. I'm. I thought, and Stan Van Gundy had an interesting quote about how he he said it, you know he he didn't think it was proper to blame the players right now. Because he he said the way that they were shooting and stuff, the way that everybody was shooting poorly, it made him think it might be a coaching thing that he's not getting the guys in the right spots to be effective. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the whole thing's a little out of whack right now. Yeah, I mean, I just I feel like the chemistry's off. But the point being, you know, when you make those kinds of trades, yeah, that first month, you know, maybe the first three weeks to a month is when you work all the kinks out. Yeah, they. You would think now is when they'd be kind of moving into a, a nice groove, and they look like they're going the opposite to me. To I think me. right now is that, and I think right now is just tough for everybody in the NBA. Yeah, because you know all stars like for us too, like yeah, all stars yeah, yeah, yeah. and a half away. Yep, trade yeah. deadlines coming up right after that, and then you know yep. after that is when you kind of go into your kick. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and you're that's right. when everyone has to like take it up a notch. Because uh, I'm wondering, like, I don't know. I'm wondering, like, I'm I'm watching Gilbert Arenas, and and Agent Zero is like. He hadn't shown up yet. I'm I'm waiting to see the old old Gil. 
And there was uh, a good story today about uh, how he, he's his knee. Yeah, he has the arthritic knee, and and it. He says when it gets warmer, he's able to play better. <laughs> and so March is always like a big time for him. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, he's got to have something. I mean, they need somebody to give them a spark. Like they need something to happen. Or somebody to happen, you know what I mean? That that yeah. kind of ignites that team, and I don't know. You, it's, they're in the danger zone right now in the East because Atlanta and Chicago are pretty steady, and Chicago's yeah. getting ready to get Noah back and be at full strength. You don't want to fall out of that top four and then either be playing catch up through the end of the season or mm-hmm. mess around and get that fifth spot. Your mm-hmm. first round matchup's going to be a nightmare. Win or lose, you're going to have to grind and probably play six or seven games against either Atlanta or Chicago. I think and Chicago, I think, is the team that, to me, I, I just don't hear anyone talk about them. Yeah, which is surprising. I mean, they're <laughs> they're playing amazing considering, like, you know, first year coach uh, Noah's been out, Boozer's been out, Bogans um, is starting every game. Yeah, stop. D Rose playing like an MVP. I mean, they yeah, gotta, they're playing incredible right now. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'm I'm just very I'm very curious to see how things shake out. Like you said, after the All Star break and the trade deadline. To see who, who kind of asserts himself, you know, what team rises up, and because somebody's going to get on a run in the East, yeah. you know, it's going to be somebody. Um, Boston and Miami both are capable. I guess Miami would be more likely a team to get rolling, just be, you know, based on the way they're made up. Um, but in that same game, we're talking about with Orlando, Rajon Rondo, you know. Boston. I don't know. If Boston always looks like they're beat up to me. Like everybody out there yeah. looks like they're frowning and grabbing a knee and they're holding their elbow or something. But they just keep wearing people out. I'm, I'm so impressed with Rondo. Um, mm-hmm. And nobody talks about him in the MVP conversation. And maybe we shouldn't. I don't know. On a team like that, it's hard to, you know, hard to say this guy should be the MVP of the league. But man, they they do such a good job of controlling things. I, I really don't see another team in the East being able to match them over the course of a seven game series long time before we get to that but I was know. I was thinking about it last night I was thinking you know Boston is so strong on the middle and, and and then Rondo is you know obviously one of the best point guards in the league like where do you attack them yeah you know like how how do you and the the, the one thing I I I would guess they have problems matching up is Miami just cuz of Wade and LeBron you know I I don't know that Defensively, Ray Allen can can stop Wade, Wade over yeah. a seven game series, and Pierce Pierce matches up better against LeBron. But yeah, but then still, Boston has the advantage at point guard and in the paint. Just have so many guys they can throw at you. So I, I they just they have so many matchup problems, and I think there's not a team they don't match up well with. Yeah, and I mean I was noticing how much better. Kendrick Perkins looks now like he yeah. blocked some shots yesterday and just showed a little more lift than yeah. he had in his first couple of games back there. I mean, the Celtics are trouble for whoever they play, you know, come playoff time, as I long mean, the as they're Celtics, healthy. It's, you know. it's really just, I mean, the same thing that's been the issue since they got that group together is injuries. If yeah. they're healthy, yeah. they seem like they're tough to beat and maybe a title winner, and but they're older. So, you know, like you said, the, it always seems like they're dealing with some sort of injury concerns. Yeah. Well, I mean – Another note on the Celtics. Ray Allen here is what three 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 pointers away from tying Reggie Miller mm-hmm. for the career, you know, uh, top spot. And then you know if he gets that fourth, he obviously passes him. And we were and we were talking about this on the way down here to the studio. When do you start that conversation of 
the greatest shooter of all time. I mean, and nobody talks. It's weird. Nobody talks about Reggie being the greatest shooter of all time. Like everybody knows, he has the mark for three pointers. Right. But when you get in the conversation of the best, like you know, this guy was the best jump shooter or best shooter in the history of the league. Nobody hardly ever mentions Reggie, and I'm assuming it's because of his form. You know, he had that yeah, kind of function delivery. But but Ray Allen, who has textbook, right? You know, shooting form to me would have to be in that conversation of the best shooter in the history of the league. You know, it's impressive to me, and I, I noticed this last week. I looked this up. Uh, you know, we've always talked to, uh, about Ray Allen being one of the best shooters of all time, having the great form. You know, all that stuff. He's actually shooting a higher percentage this season than he ever has in his I career. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. I know. That he's been around since 1996, and, and this year he's shooting uh, 45.8% from threes. It, it defies ex- explanation. I mean, I don't understand how. And really, it's, it's that whole team. You know, he's having a great shooting year. Pierce, I think, is shooting the best he ever has from the floor. You know, I mean, all those guys, they're all doing remarkable things. But Ray, specifically, I mean, how many how many jumps, you know, basically, and he's not just a a, a spot-up jump shooter. He can shoot right. on the run. He's a, You know, he can drift shoot, which is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to me, a, an art, you know, in the NBA to be able to drift on the perimeter like that and be able to shoot off of either leg and kind of at angles. Um, he come, You know, he can still come off screens and, and knock down shots. I mean, to me, he's just so multifaceted in terms of a sh- as being a shooter. Um, yeah, totally. And he's never gotten credit for that. Somebody was, I was having a conversation with somebody last week about Ray Allen. They were talking about, well, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if Ray Allen's a Hall of Famer. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> who at this point of his career could question him being a, a Hall of Famer? And in fact, I was in an NBA locker room the other night, Friday, and that's when I had that conversation. They were, you know, somebody said, man, like, what has Ray Allen done? He's averaging what 14 points a game, blah blah. And I thought. He's averaging 17, you know, for the record, and he's getting ready to break a record. I mean, what more do you want a guy to do at this stage of his career? I think he's a, a I think there's no, all-star. I think there's no question he's an all-star, and I think there's no doubt he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. It also impresses me that, you know, he went from being like the man in Milwaukee yes. and Seattle, yes, to to adjusting to playing this other role, and he's doing a really good job at it, you know. Uh, able to like come on, like kind of be the the second, third option, I guess on those on those Celtic teams. Yeah, I mean, depending on depending on the night, any one of the, those four guys can lead that team in scoring. But the thing about Ray that struck me is that he's a much better defender than he gets credit for. Yeah, um, and I don't mean he's he's like all defense, but I'm saying he'll dig in and guard somebody. Like he'll dig in and guard Kobe. He'll dig in and guard Dwayne Wade. Knowing that he might get torched, you know what I mean? But he's not yeah. going to back down. He's not going to take a step back. He's going to guard him as hard as, as anybody. Uh, another thing that we haven't talked about yet, we probably absolutely have to get to, is the all-star selections, though. The yeah. reserves went out last week. Kevin Love initially was not on the Western Conference team line uh, and ends up getting the commissioner's gift spot uh, injury replacement for Yao Ming, which I thought was justified. You know, I know there are a lot of Marcus Aldridge fans out there who will argue his case and some other guys. I think the commissioner wouldn't have, couldn't have gone wrong if he'd have put either one of those guys on there. I think uh, so, too. I, I should also point out that last week on the beat, D, David Aldridge and I picked our all-star reserves, uh-huh. and uh, I, I picked all 15 correctly. What? Truth. Are you serious? 
Fact. Micah, go back and we got to get this video <laughs> and dig it. I put it online too on Wednesday. <laughs> I put my teams on there. I believe that. Uh, I mean, I think that with all the hemming and hawing that ended up happening with everything, I mean, it just it seemed like they were going to reward yeah, Tim horrible. Duncan, even even with him not having great stats. Teams forty two and eight, like he's the best power forward of all time. It doesn't surprise me that he made it. Yeah, yeah. I well, the one thing I I I, I had Duncan and Kevin Love on the team, but. I thought Duncan would be the commissioner replacement. That's I didn't what I think yeah. he would get voted on. Yeah. Um, just because his stats are, are so much lower than he has averaged for his career. I thought Love would get voted on. But um, I, I wasn't really surprised that they both ended up on that team. Well, let me ask you this. When you picked your reserves, right. did you pick them based on who you thought should be on there or who you thought the coaches would put on there? I think, a I, think there's a, I think there's a big difference. Yeah, a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I have a hard time disagreeing with, with who they put on there, mm-hmm. regardless of who I thought should or shouldn't be on there. Like, I, I, I don't think you can really argue too much against the guys who made it on there. Yeah. You know, um, like I, I thought, like, I, I thought Joe Johnson would make the team not right. only because he's been an all-star for the last four, four years, four years but the, he kind of quietly had a pretty remarkable month of january monstrous. monstrous after coming back from that early from the from the surgery i think he averaged 26 points a game and he shot over 50 percent from the floor um and you know i think coaches also know that just because tim duncan's averaging 14 points that doesn't mean he's still not one of the guys you have to plan for every single night yeah you know the other Same thing about Joe. duncan too is that it's not just that his averages are lower he's not playing as many minutes so his like per minute averages are probably not that much different than his career marks. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's been a con- there's been a, a certain effort to reduce his minutes, you know, in anticipation of the playoffs and all that sort of stuff. I'm more con- curious about, and somebody mentioned this, sent an email in about this, and I, and I put it in the uh, on the blog over the weekend. Wouldn't it be cool to find out who the coaches voted for? Yeah, after the fact, like, uh, you know, they can't vote for their own players. Obviously. You want you want transparency. No, I just <laughs> <laughs> you want to see your public votes. I, it would just be I'd be very curious to see who. Or do you mean you want to see like who who finished? You know. No, I just want, I'm 10. just curious who they who they voted for because I I would imagine there are some interesting picks from the coaches, guys that maybe get a vote from one coach or another coach because it's a subjective thing. They have guys they think think a lot of. They have guys they may not think a lot of. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm just very curious to see which guys showed up on, you know, on a certain coach's ballot, and mm-hmm. you know, because there are guys who will go out like some guy might average 30 points against a certain team, yeah, right. And that coach thinks the world of this guy because he torches him every time he sees him, right. But other people might not consider him all star material. Um, I think it's the, the the greatest thing is I love getting text messages from players like on the Wednesday before the All-Star announcements come out because inevitably they're like, hey, who do you think is going to be on the All-Star team? Or who, you know. <laughs> so anybody, when you hear these players talking about, oh, I don't care, you know, I don't worry about stuff like that, blah, blah, it's like, uh, yeah, they do. Yeah. You know, they, they're they talking about it. It's it's a topic of conversation. Um, you know, because why would, why would these guys not want to make, you know, make an All-Star team? It's, it's the pinnacle of individual achievement, you know, that you could have as an NBA player. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, should there be an injury to either side, who do, who do you think is the uh, first guy next in line for Stern in each conference? Lamarcus uh, has to be in the West. Well, unless it's a unless guard. Unless it's a guard. You know, and then and then I would you... think Steve Nash would probably have to be next. 
In the East, I would guess either Boozer or Josh Smith. Yeah. I would I would say regardless of position in the West, it should be LaMarcus. You know, and then I when it's tough if if you're talking about Nash, how do you overlook how do you pass up Monte? Yeah. You know, Monte Ellis. Or Tony Parker. Or even Parker. Tony Parker, who's on a you know on the best team in the league. So what about yeah. Zebo? It's a tougher Listen, I think this is my man, but I think Zebo got his I think he got his last year and it'll be tough for him to make a Western Conference All Star team again unless he just has crazy off the board numbers. You know, and I thought he I thought he earned his spot last year. But mm-hmm. that's you know, you're talking about the Western Conference where every position is stacked three, four deep. I mean look at the guards. Yeah. Look at him, you know. Nash Nash misses out, but who do you take off for Nash? You know, Russell Westbrook's having a crazy year. You know, Chris Paul, Darren Williams. It's, it's hard to find somebody to put on there in his place. Um, in the East, you know, I, I don't know why I overlooked Boozer or kind of didn't give Boozer his credit. You know, I know he's doing 20 and t- 2010 like always. Um, but, I get, you know, what about Andrew Bogut? Yeah. Or Josh Smith, you know, to me. Josh is another one of those players who, he, if you look at his numbers and you look at Al Horford's and you look at Bosch's, he matches up with those guys. If not exceeds him, yeah, Tyson Chandler. But he's got the perception problem to me with the coaches talking about Josh Smith that's going to keep him from making an all-star team. You know, just in terms of the coaches, you know, they have long memories. They remember what you might have been like if you were an impetuous young player and you didn't, you know, you clashed with your head coach, whatever. To me, that doesn't go away. You know, that's something that's hard to shake for coaches when it comes down to sitting down and filling out that sheet of – Sheet of paper, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I mean, I think also though with Josh, it, it's hard. <clears throat> sorry, it's hard for any team to send three guys to the All Star game. That's not, especially a team that's. If you're not in first place in the conference, first mm-hmm. place in the division. Mm-hmm. You know, and, no, that makes sense. I mean, in the East, Boston's going to send four. Miami is going to send the big three, but uh, th- those are the. <clears throat> Two of the best teams in the East, right. and the Hawks in are the league, behind yeah. those teams. Yeah, the you know, so uh, I, I, I think it's going to be tough. I think that's partly why, like Zach, in the in the West, he can put up twenty and ten, but unless Memphis is winning more games, it's it, it's hard for him to be in that conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think it's a much thicker fight in the Western Conference mm-hmm. for, for various reasons. I mean, you know, you can look down the list of players in the East and say, okay. Which guards deserve to go? And to me, you run out of players at a certain point. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought Charles was a little harsh on uh, the Thursday night when he was kind of <laughs> when he was kind of like snubs. What snubs? And you know, and he's like going crazy on the East. I thought that was a little harsh, but you know, this idea that Raymond Felton deserved an All Star bid. You know, a lot of Knicks fans I know thought he should be a guy that they made the Eastern Conference All Star team, even over Joe. And I was like, eh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know about that. You know. And I think he's had a fine season. Um, but, you know, as far as him getting on that all-star team over one of those other guys, that's a tough sell. Yeah, know? well, I mean, and I think, again, the Knicks are two games over five hundred. you know. Atlanta's, what, 15 games over five hundred. Yeah. If yeah. the Knicks are going to send two guys, it's tough. Yeah, it's a totally different animal. So, yeah. um, But, you know, enough enough of our yapping. Uh, we got some guests lined up today, Lang, that uh, – we do? We do have guests. I mean, I, I know I'm, we just scared everybody thinking they're going to have to sit and listen to us yap for an entire hour. But uh, we actually have some guests lined up on Hangtime Podcast here today. And 
Our first guest, speaking of players, um, you know, and, and jump shooters, this this is a perfect guy to talk to about those very topics. Joining us now, Lang, Jamal Crawford of the Atlanta Hawks. You know, we talked about shooters and, uh, you know, ballers. Let's let's bring on one of our favorite guys. Jamal, what's happening with you? How you doing? Good, man. Good. Uh, how are you doing? The Hawks? Hawks looking pretty good lately. I mean, give us a give us an update on on what's going on with you. Well, I think we just had to, you know, get used to the adjustment that we had to make with a new coach and everything. We had all the same players for the most part, so that part was easy. But coach wants to do things a little bit differently, and it took us a little while to grasp that. You know, with that and getting guys injured here and there, we've been trying to put it together, and I think we've been doing a good job of that lately. How Jamal? How big of an adjustment is it? It's totally different. You know, people would think it's not an easy. Uh, it, they would think it's an easy adjustment because yeah. Larry Drew was here, you know, the last uh, six years with everybody. But he has a a different way of doing things. So you know, guys had to grasp that. Last, I think, in past years, it's been more of a kind of isolation type offense, which worked mm-hmm. for us. It was good for us. But he wanted more movement, and, you know, more player movement, ball movement. And that's what we've been doing. So I think it kind of kind of made guys adjust their games a little bit. But we're picking up on it. Yeah. Jamal, we've been talking about uh, Ray Allen, uh, you know, getting ready to break Reggie Miller's career uh, three-pointers record and really got into a conversation about great shooters in the history of the league and where guys kind of rank. Now, from one extraordinary shooter to another, where do you think these guys stack on that list? Like, where do you put Reggie and Ray and some of the other great shooters throughout the history of the league? Well, now it's weird because I can say it since Reggie's not playing no more. Every time he shot and I was guarding him, I thought the ball was going in. Like it, was, it, it wasn't the prettiest looking shot because his hand almost went to the his right hand almost went to his left hand. Yeah. But it went in ninety eight percent of the time, or at least it seemed that way. But I think those two rank right up there. I think Jeff Hornacek's a great shooter. Steve Kerr, mm-hmm. uh, guys like Dale Ellis are great shooters. But I think Ray Allen actually has the prettiest stroke out of anybody that's played that I've seen. I've watched a lot of players, you know, past and present. Yeah. Who was yeah. your who did you who was your guy growing up, Jamal? I had different guys. Mines were never really like pure shooters. I I loved uh, you know, uh Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan. And then as I got older I liked Nick Van Axel, Anthony Hardaway, Alan Iverson, Gary Payton. Mm-hmm. You know, guys like that. So there were never really any pure shooters, but I think everybody at one time or another tried to emulate Ray Allen's stroke, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 Was, is it a prerequisite if you're from Seattle you have to be a GP disciple? I know I talked to Marvin Williams about it and a lot of other guys, like is that just yeah, you have to swear by him. That's just how it goes. <laughs> Especially in Seattle because we put out so many guards in the NBA. We put out more guards than anything. You right. know, Aaron Brooks, Rodney Stuckey, myself, Nate Robinson, Brandon Roy, yeah. uh, Terrence Williams. All of us kind of grew up under the, the Gary Payton era. Right. You know, we saw right. Gary Payton. We saw Hersey Hawkins and, and Sean Kemp and all those guys. But Gary was our guy. You know, he was the guy that we felt like we could associate most with. Right. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Jamal, about last season. You know, you won Six Man of the Year award, and it seemed to be a role you kind of slipped into pretty easily. Did that help you having like that defined role? Yeah, it did. It did. But I must say, honestly, it was still an adjustment. Like even yeah. though I knew I was going to be a six man, it was still an adjustment once I was out there the first preseason game and I wasn't starting. You know, right. and honestly, just speaking very honestly with you guys, I think people thought 
that it will kind of be how Gilbert Arenas is adjusting now. You know, like mm-hmm. a, a good player on teams that didn't do so well, his teams did, but just that whole adjustment, going to mm-hmm. a good team that's already been in place, and then you have to come in and, and, and change your role. You know, and that takes time, and I, I totally understand what Gilbert's going through. Hmm. Do you look at do you look around now, Jamal, at where some of these guys are at this stage of your career, certainly yourself? You know, once you get double-digit years in the league, does your perspective change dramatically in terms of what your goals are and, and what the reality is in terms of how much time you have left to play, what you can realistically chase in the situation you're in? Like, does all that start coming into play after you get in the league this long? I think so. I think so. Because I think when you first come in, you were either a, a top pick, you know what I mean, a guy that was a, a top pick out of high school or college. And mm-hmm. when you first come in, you want to conquer the world in your first year. <laughs> you know, you want to have the success that LeBron James or, or Blake Griffin or somebody had immediately. But it just doesn't work like that. Everybody has a different situation. You may not be mentally or physically ready. Yeah. You know, so when you first come in, I think more than anything, you want to establish you belong. You want to establish your name. You want to establish that it was a mistake that you were taken so high. And you want to be an all-star caliber player in your first three or four years and it doesn't always work like that sometimes it it's the opposite end you know i mean i didn't play until my fourth year and get consistent minutes and then i went to new york from there and it feels like i grew up there but it's just different you know it's totally different now i mean i used to have aspirations of making the all-star game and stuff Mm -hmm. like that because i felt like the talent was there but i was never on winning teams well now i'm on a winning team and now you have to sacrifice a little bit more you know so that's the balance of, of of what i've been asked to do and, and you know i'm trying to do it to the best of my ability when did that kind of click for you was it last year or or you know before you came to atlanta was, is that when you started realizing sort of how the whole thing works yeah i think i think it was last year honestly because i had lost so much i was like i'll do whatever it takes to win i right. don't care if i come off the bench i don't care if i you ask me to average 12 points or 14 points and i just average 20 plus you know, for consecutive years, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to do whatever it takes to win. And when you really believe in your team and you really just want to win, you'll sacrifice yourself. And, you know, that's why I could easily make a fuss about trying to start or wanting to start, but I'm not about mm-hmm. that. I really genuinely want to win. And I don't care. I think me being, you know, one of the top scorers on this team, it gives us great balance that when a Joe Johnson comes out the game, we don't lose scoring at least, you know, because I'll be there to kind of let him get a rest and do my thing. So, I think it works better for me on this team for me to come off the bench for sure. Yeah. Jamal, you certainly in, in training camp and in the summer there was talk, you know, about uh, extensions and what, you know, what kind of situation you would have long term here with the Hawks. Give us an update. Is that still something that's being discussed and, and being talked about or has it been kind of tabled until the season is up? I mean, I know we got this, the new CBA conversation right. going on. I mean, where do, you, where do you stand in terms of your long term situation here with the Hawks? Well, see, I think it's still being discussed, but honestly, I was more concerned about it in the summer yeah, because of the CBA situation and all the talk that was going in. And, you know, coming off a year like I had last year, I was more concerned about it then. But now I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the CBA situation. But if I'm a free agent, that means I get to select where I want to go. So it's not the end of the world at all. You know what I mean? It's, It's actually a positive. I'll have choices. I won't be locked into anything. You know, and like I said before, I love Atlanta. I love being here. I, I want to call it home, but now we're in a situation where in July it'll be a year since we start talking about it. So at that point, I'll have to make a decision about what I'm going to do, but at least I'll have that option. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about going forward now with the Hawks. You guys are kind of quiet in the East, but you're 15 games over 500. Uh, is this a team that has made enough 
progress from last year? Are you guys going to uh, contend now to get get out of that second round? I think so. You know, and, and for the playoffs being my first time last year, you know, I was just excited about a winning team. We had a great season, but the playoffs for us ended so abruptly that right. people forgot what kind of season we had. So now I do understand that we'll be judged on what we do in the playoffs. We can win 50 games, we can win 55 games, whatever. If we go out in the second round again, we'll look at that as a failure. We have to continue to build because if you look at it, the core guys, uh, Al, Joe, Marvin, Bibby, Josh, everybody is signed long-term, basically. Yeah. You know, myself, I'm the only one that's kind of out there right now. But besides that, everybody's signed long-term. So this is what we have. You know, so this is the team we have. We have to go forward and continue to get better. And I think our fans are a little tired of seeing second-round sweeps. So we have to change that. <laughs> Jamal, I'm curious. Uh, Lang and I were talking before before you came on about all-star selections, and you mentioned it. In the NBA, obviously, you have the the fans vote for the starters and then right. the coaches pick the reserves. I'm curious what the reserves would look like if the players, if it was peer-based for the reserves as opposed to the coaches. Do you think it would look similar to what we see what no. we see now? I think it looked different, honestly. Really? Because, okay, let's, let's put it like this. Uh, two examples. Um, first off, with myself, mm-hmm. I think even last year, I remember Chris Weber and even you and, and different guys out there were like, "Well, how come Jamal's not in the, you know in the All Star conversation?" Right. But it's because I was coming off the bench. But heck, I'm coming off the bench, averaging 18 points. Right. You know, so I'm doing better than a lot of starting shooting guards that were in the East. You know, and and but I I understand that I'm in a limited capacity because I'm looked at as an off the bench type of guy. Help winning the Six Man of the Year award helps that, but. I just think from my peers and stuff, they respect the fact that I have all-star type talent and why not put a guy in there just because he comes off the bench. We should actually applaud him even more for putting up those kind of numbers come off the bench. Mm-hmm. And then second is Josh Smith. You can't tell me that there's 10 to 15 guys in the league that impact the game he does on both ends of the floor in every facet of the game mm-hmm. in and not make the all-star team. Yeah. He should actually be a two-time all-star by now, honestly. <laughs> just honestly speaking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I mean, this guy has 16 points, almost nine rebounds, a couple of blocks, a couple of steals, almost four assists. Like he's doing everything on the court, yeah, every right. single thing. Yeah. So how can he not on a winning team? So how can he not be an All Star? Yeah. No, it's yeah. Very, I mean it's unique. I I thought about that just because I don't know. I know players all watch those announcements and they sit back and look at the reserves. And I, you can't control the starters, obviously. Right. But the, the with the coaches, yeah. yeah, with the coaches doing voting on the reserves I'm always curious to see what players reactions are like and I and I talked to players in different locker rooms and they were all kind of chirping about it a couple days before the announcement came like you think how many you know you think this guy's gonna make you think that guy's gonna make it I think it would be fantastic if they switched it up and had the players vote for the reserves I think that'd be very interesting to see how that would come out you know what I was thinking about that or if you don't do that if that doesn't happen just stretch out to 15 guys because that way the other three guys who people feel like got snubbed would probably make it. And once you get to the game, it's not about actually playing 35 minutes in the game. It's just the fact that you were recognized as an all-star and one of the best players in the world. So that way, I think there'd be a lot more happy faces around. And a guy like Josh Smith in the all-star game, he may catch a dunk that you yeah. know sets the world on fire. We never know. Right, right. Yeah. 
it's exciting. No, that's good to know though. I'm, maybe we'll, listen, we got a, we got a direct line with the commissioner. We might have to call him Lang. Oh man, Lang you and the commissioner are tight, that. so we might have to see if about tweaking. <laughs> text Lang, him. Well, Lang, Lang's had conversations with Michael Jordan. Lang's big out here. So he's huge. You know how that is. He's yeah, huge. You know how that is. He's been to hey, he's been to L.A. twice this year. Jamal didn't bring us anything back. How you like that? Is that how he does it? Yeah, hadn't brought us a thing back. Nothing. So away, but you know, away from my, I'm still waiting for my shoes. I shoes, so I can't say too much about Wayne right now. He's going to keep that in my head. <laughs> well, listen, man, we appreciate you uh, rocking with us, man. First time on the Hang Time Podcast. Don't let it be the last, okay? It won't. It won't. Whenever you guys want me, I'll be here. All right, Thanks, Jamal. Appreciate you. Right. Thanks a lot. That's, uh, that's very – that'd be a real interesting twist, I think, Lane. The one thing is, I think, if you add – if you – if you do expand the roster to, to 15, then you're going to end up with, well, the, you know, it's just going to be three more guys that, that don't get minutes. <laughs> that yeah. probably should have been in. You know. Well, and the three that don't get minutes. Like, I love – you remember a few years ago when um, – who was the coach? I, I forget who the coach was. It might have been Isaiah. And, and Antoine Walker and, and Paul Pierce made the all-star team. But they yeah. didn't get good minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like they were salty about it after that. So in the playoffs, the Pacers and the Celtics played, and, like, Antoine and Paul Pierce made it a point to mention, like, you know, this is for not playing. <laughs> like, I'm going to give you 25, 30 tonight, and it's because you sat me, you know. Matter of fact, it was the year the All-Star game was, was here in Atlanta. It was in Atlanta, yeah. Oh, yeah. three. Yes. So uh, I, I remember that vividly. Like, they were like, okay, you know, cool, like. You know, no minutes in the All Star game. Take this thirty in, in this this first round playoff exit. You know, it would be really intriguing to see. You know, I talked about I'd love to see the coaches' ballots exposed. How'd you love to see peer based voting for All Star slots? I mean, that would be crazy. Well, you, you saw what they did in the hockey All Star game this year. No, I didn't. Where they they nominated whatever, however many players. I guess they had a pool of like all the guys. Uh huh. And then they had two guys they picked as captains, and they drafted teams. <laughs> and they played against each other, and that was the All-Star game. That would be interesting. It would be interesting, but I, I also, I, I, in a way, I kind of like East versus West. You know, just because you see these guys play together and against each other most of the time. All the guys in the East, you see, you know, you, you see the Hawks and the Celtics and the Bulls and the Magic play each other a lot. So it's kind of neat to see them all together. But um, I, I, it would be interesting. I should also point that out would the be thing interesting, with... and I've I've seen this talked about. Uh, you know, Jamal talked about adding you know more spots, make it fifteen. But I, I'd just like to see them get rid of positions. Just take the twelve guys playing the best ball yeah. in each conference, because you know it's an all star game. It doesn't really matter if you have a center, you know, or whatever. It's just guys playing ball. I think part of the fun yeah, is when they'll when the coaches put in like five centers. Or five, you know, the, there's that. I can't remember what year it was, but there's one year they put in the West had a lineup, and it was like Yao, Duncan, Shaq. It, it was like five. Kevin Garnett, yeah, they had yeah, like they had all five guys yeah, at the same time, and Shaq right. was bringing the ball up the court. And, <laughs> no, and that's I mean, always fun to watch. It's, it's a it's a huge to me. It's a huge thing with players. Like I don't think people realize. Jamal talked about it how much players come into the league wanting to be all-stars. Like, there's not a dude that gets drafted or makes a team that doesn't harbor dreams of being an all-star. Sure. So if you put – to me, it's like if you kind of drop that all-star responsibility in their laps as players, mm-hmm. I would love to see – I'd just be very curious to see who 
who has the respect of their peers to the point that they would feel good, like, okay, this dude's on my all-star ballot. I, you know, that'd be very, that'd be very intriguing to look at and, and study kind of like who gets the respect. Because there are a lot of guys who are good players that we, you know, we both know this, Lane. A lot of guys who are really good players that make all-star teams that some of their peers don't, don't look at it and say, this dude, this, this is one of those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm trying to be diplomatic when I say that, but, <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of that that goes on. Like, I can't believe this dude made it. And I and I heard that a couple times over the weekend when I was in locker rooms. Like, are you serious? This cat made the all-star team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Stuff like that. So, I don't I know. Should, I, I should also point out that when I made the joke with Jamal about the shoes, uh-huh. when he was on the Knicks – I used to see him in the locker room all the time, and, and some one time we were talking about shoes, and he was like, what size shoe do you wear? And I said, I wear a 13. He's like, oh, so do I. He goes, I have – I think he wore Reeboks at the time or something. He's like, I have boxes and boxes of, of these 13s. You can have them if you want them. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I was like, well, I don't – I was like, sure, if you, if you have them, that's great. I, but I don't, I don't need shoes. I, I have plenty of shoes. <laughs> But if you want to give me some, whatever. And he was like, he was like, totally. I'm gonna get you some shoes. And I, he goes, I just have these extra shoes. You you can have them. You can play in them. I'm like, great. And I, I've never gotten any shoes from Jamal. But, <laughs> but every time I see him, he immediately he's like, oh, I got to give you those shoes. <laughs> this has been going on for like five years now. Yeah, hey, well, you know, good things come to those who wait, my friend. <laughs> Spe- I don't need them. Listen, speaking of uh, our next guest. Uh, you know, you got to follow Jamal Crawford up with somebody who you've really been trying to get your hands on. And uh, our next guest is Kelly Dwyer, the editor of Yahoo's Ball Don't Lie blog and uh, a staunch, you know, anti-sweet tea guy. So this ought to be an interesting conversation because we all know that I am the president of the Sweet Tea fan club. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, what's happening, man? Uh, not a whole lot. I, I, I mean, I'm, I, it's a good segue because Jamal Crawford almost ran me over during his rookie year outside of the United Center. Not, you know, 45 minutes after I talked to him about getting back on transition defense in the Bulls locker room, um, as I was crossing the street to go, you know, take the lonely demon bus back to my basement apartment. Yeah, in his, in his nice SUV. And yes, I, I'm sorry. I am a staunch anti-sweet tea guy. And you're a, a pro sweet tea, uh, sweet tea guy who actually put it in your slam you know, magazine profile back in the day. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's dedication, my man. And, you know, I'm on the other side, but I can, I can appreciate that and respect it to the point Ke- to where I don't have to drink it. <laughs> no doubt. Kelly, have, Kelly, have you ever had – this is Lang, by the way. Have you, I don't but like. have you ever had sweet tea? I have because uh, Indiana is, you know, the, like the south of the Mason, as, as Sakers would probably tell you after <laughs> having to work here. It, it's not below the Mason-Dixon line, but it may as well have been. <laughs> and, you know, at, at, you go through the McDonald's drive through in the middle of the day, and you need a little caffeine pick-me-up, and you pay your dollar plus tax, and you buy what you think is going to be a delicious India-brewed, you know, big, uh, you know, styro jug of, of regular tea, and then you take a big gulp of it as you're trying to get out of the way of the, you know, the Kia Sorento in the other lane, and it's full of sugar, and you spit it out, and you ruin your stereo, and then you have to drive a Dodge Stratus for the next week. So, yes, I have had it. Without meaning to, but yes, I've, I've had it quite a bit, and I don't like it. I'm sorry. I like <laughs> boring, stayed, dry things. That's that's who I am, and that's you know. I'm sorry. That's probably why Jamal Crawford tried to run me over. <laughs> no, we can get with that man. He loves sweet tea. So. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Hey, uh, so now, is this is this real? You live in Lafayette, Indiana. Lafayette, Indiana. You know, directly between uh, uh, you know two Midwestern basketball teams. But yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. fun little town, and yeah, that's where I'm at. 
What's up with that? Because my, my cousin played ball at Purdue, so I, I've actually stomped around West Lafayette a time or two in my life. It's a fun place. I, I'm not, I went to a couple of years of high school here, but I'm from Chicago originally, uh-huh. and moved down here after I uh, fell in love and okay, decided cool. to uh, you know hang with it. But it's 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 weird sort of being in the belly of the beast uh, hoop wise because it's uh, they love basketball here, so yeah. it's like even if it's not the mecca, it's not New York, it's not Chicago, it's not this, it's not where it, the best of it is. It's still I'm a jazz guy, so it's almost like um, you know, you know, New York is sort of like the best place to find jazz. But it's almost like you live in Kansas City, where Charlie Parker came from, or New Orleans, or you know. So it's it's sort of like that, and I dig it. Um, I don't like the fact that you can't buy beer on Sundays, but beyond that, I'm I'm cool with it. Just gotta plan ahead. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you gotta have a to do list on Saturday, man. That, exactly. What do you? I mean, I know you watch from reading Ball Don't Lie. I know you watch an just an outlandish amount of basketball. How many games do you watch in a week's time? Like, do you watch every, try and see some of every, basically every game that's on? Yeah, I mean, to me, that's not outlandish. Maybe in 10 years, that'll be outlandish. But right now, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm full of, uh, you know, tea and vigor. Right. So, uh, it's yeah, I, I don't write as much about every game as I used to since it became editor of Ball Don't Lie. But, um, yeah, I, my main gig is you watch all the games on weeknight night. Mm-hmm. So Monday through Friday, I'm trying, I'm flipping around. And you know the NBA makes it happen with that with lead pass broadband thing where you right. can go on the day after and and you know check out what you missed in the fourth quarter and you know a two possession game where you, when you're off watching you know the Timberwolves game. But yeah, my main gig is trying to watch as much as I can, and it's it's a sweet gig. I can't I can't complain about it. <laughs> I know I think it was in L.A. at the finals or somewhere and after the game, after one of the finals games, I saw Kelly in the in the press room and I was like. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go back to the hotel, and Kelly's like, yeah, I got to go back and watch this game again. After we, I mean, we were at the game, and we just watched it, and he was going to go watch it again. And I was like, wow, this guy's, I mean, do you find it different watching it on tape or watching on television than you do in person? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Because in person, you follow the ball. And, um, you know, when you watch it on tape, you, you, you see things off the ball. You see plays out of timeouts. You know you're not looking at the scoreboard. You're not looking at your laptop. You're, you're yeah. There's there's a million different things. But I mean, right. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to put down like watching it in person because that's the best way to do it. It's just you know if I if if Yahoo's going to rent uh, you know a nice Toyota Camry for me and pay for my in and out burger, <laughs> I, I should at the very least go back to the hotel room that they bought for me and watch it again while I'm writing up the next day's post. So yeah. it's, it's just you know what what I. If I can do it, and I'm, if I'm getting up at you know three in the afternoon, I'm getting up at seven in the morning to go visit shoot around as a, as a beat writer or something like that. If I can, if they give me this lifestyle, the least I can do is just try to watch as much ball as I can. Kelly, what, what when did you develop your passion for basketball? Lang and I talk about it all the time. You know, like that moment when you're younger and you kind of get hooked on the game. When, what was that moment for you? And and was it a, a about a specific player or a team or something? Maybe you playing? I mean, but when did you have your your kind of basketball eureka moment? I'm kind of just now figuring this out, but it may have been when I was seven and I saw Dave Corzine's black Porsche 911 in his driveway. <laughs> that, that was, I'm, I, I, we didn't actually talk about this beforehand, no one will believe it, but yeah, I, I used to, you know, back in the day, we used to walk home from school. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran, I walked, he was running past Dave Corzine, who lived in my my neighborhood, even though he was rich and we were poor, or, or poor-ish. Uh, anyway, his parents lived in our neighborhood, and he used to come by, and he used to run past our school sometimes. And there's, you know, a big seven-foot guy with a gray beard running past us. And, uh, yeah, so it may have been that. I don't, I don't know. I grew up in the same time that Michael Jordan played in. And if you can't develop a passion for basketball after that, you know, <laughs> and when you're six years old and some guy, the first, one of the first memories you have 
as a kid is if some cat dropping 63 in a game against the Celtics on the parquet, then, you know, you're hopeless. That you, yeah. you know, go off and write about, you know, baseball or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Seku and I were talking earlier. Not, about not, not to say that I'm not looking forward to that Bobby Cox book. <laughs> I, I honestly am. At least somebody is. Seku <laughs> <laughs> hey, and I were talking earlier about the Bulls and just how as good as they've been this season and as good as that story is about that team, they don't seem to get that much attention. I know you're a big Bulls fan. Why are, why are they being overlooked, do you think? I I think they've been looked on. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like the NBA sort of took hold after that Clipper game. After that Clipper, because it was a it was a really busy night, and like the whole of the NBA just stopped to watch that Clipper game because it was the only late night game mm-hmm. on. Um, I don't know. They seem to be getting pub enough pub. I I don't. I don't know. It's it's a strange. It's a different team. You can't really put a finger on it because at the beginning of the year they were a really fast paced team and they ran a lot and and now they've slowed down a bit. The defense is inconsistent. That you know no writer wants to talk about defense because it's boring and you know myself included. And you know it's 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 a strange team to look at. They're 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 a good amalgamation. There's no there's nothing really to criticize and there's nothing really to pump up beyond the point of hyperbole. They're just they're just a perfect smart basketball team that still has a lot of work to do um and as far as pub i mean you know what we're looking at right now is a first round matchup between new york and chicago and <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you know <laughs> i don't think that'll be the game no, you know, no offense to nba tv as much as i you know lord over it i don't think those are going to be nba tv games that you know new york and chicago there's, there's going to be enough pub coming on uh you know come the third week of april and uh i don't know they're, they're, they're still figuring their way out and a lot of people are getting used to the to the scene and and I don't know. I'm just having fun taking it in. Kelly, in, in a busy season like this, and every NBA season seems like it has, you know, a million different storylines. What, what, in your estimation, is the one story that's not getting its due right now? And I'm talking about, you know, any kind of trade, any kind of chemistry issue going on the team. But like, what is it that maybe has caught your eye and you haven't really blown it out yet? But it, but you're thinking about it because I, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, we pay attention to all the teams that are winning all the time. And then we pay attention to the teams that are horrible. But those teams in the middle, you know, they're, they're shifting so much. I always feel like I'm missing something. I'm not paying enough attention to something. Is there, is there anything out there that you, you got your eye on? Well, I, I, read, I mean, you know, we read yourself. You're paying attention to everything. It's, it's, I, it's, I'm keeping my eye on everything. I, I love the fact that we don't have the 2010 thing hanging over us. We yeah. don't have the LeBron Wade thing. That's great. Yeah. And Carmelo, you know, it's, it's a huge trade deadline. It's, it's a. He's been, it's been a pain in the butt having to write about it, but he's been completely professional and yeah. upfront and honest about it to the point of, you know, he says as much as he can say without getting fined by the league. Um, I'm just loving the fact that, look at the, uh, forget the middle of the road, I'm sorry, look at the top of the standings. The Spurs and the Celtics are running this league right now, yeah. and that I would have no problem with, like, no Celtics on the All-Star team, one Spur on the <laughs> All-Star team, because they're so great. It's just a, a, a team game. With these guys who are just playing off each other and playing the smarts, you know Richard Jefferson turned his career around. You know Rajon Rondo's running stuff. Um, you know KG is you know ticking people off, but he's just dominating defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm ju- I'm just loving the fact that they're we have no idea what's going to happen in May right. and June. And right. and even though the Spurs are forty and eight or whatever they are, uh, who knows? A goofy goofy you know first round matchup or something like that. They could go to seven games and be out in the second round, or they could you know, sweep their way to the finals. I'm, I'm just loving the fact that we still have no idea what's going to go on, even though we're 50 games into the season. That just, that, that just, just keeps me going. Yeah. Is there a, uh, we were talking about this earlier too, is there a team you think that's going to kick it up a notch, you know, post-All-Star? 
Well, everything, I mean, people are talking about Chicago. Yeah. I, I guess I should bring them up. You know, they didn't have Boozer to start the year, and then they didn't have, after he came back and then Noah injured himself, what people forget is that Noah injured himself right when Boozer came back. So yeah. they're 7-2 and two with Boozer and Noah, but Noah wasn't himself in that run because he, he messed with his hand. He's shooting left-handed layups and, and turning the ball over. Um then again, their schedule is going to get tougher. You know, Milwaukee and Philly should get better as they get smarter and and you know get get healthier and, and stuff like that. Golden State could make a run. Memphis, I mean, who? How great would it be to see Memphis in the playoffs? You know, with that team, all those guys that everyone gave up on, you know, hanging on to OJ Mayo past the de- you know trade deadline. Zach Randolph with the redemption story. I mean, that, there are a lot of teams that are right in the middle, as they could talk about, uh, that could actually just you know as, as they get more familiar with each other, figure stuff out. You know, watching Minnesota play a spoiler in April, watching New Orleans, you know, figure it out and get more used to Monty Williams. What, what happens if Monty Williams falls in love with, with Marcus Thornton out of nowhere and starts playing <laughs> for 25 minutes a game? Yeah. And he's dropping like 20 in 32 minutes. I mean, there are so many things that could pop up, even though we're in a six. It, it really is the dog days right now. <clears throat> you know, teams are sort of starting to take it easy and get sort of cabin fever right before the All-Star break. As soon as that also break ends, they're going to have a day off, and they're going to go nuts right after that. And I, I just can't wait for that because it's going to be a blitzkrieg for you know for a month and a half or whatever it is until until uh, you know the playoffs start. No question about it, man. Listen, well, we appreciate you coming on. We're going to ship you a case of uh, Southern brewed sweet tea, whether you like it or not. You can just throw it up on the shelf as a collector's item. You no, know, I'm going to put it through my Brita filter and take all the sugar out <laughs> and then, you know, toss in some, you know, some India flake or whatever, you know, the, the 80-year-old English people do. And I'm going to I'm gonna get rid of the sugar. But I do appreciate that. I appreciate the case. I just want sure. to <laughs> Your Brita filter is going to get diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Dwyer from Baldo Live, man. Thanks so much for joining Thanks, us. Kelly. We appreciate it, man. No problem. Take care, guys. All right. You know, I, I love the – I love – that he mentioned the cabin fever everybody has right now as we kind of these last days, this last week before all-star, you know, that those poor teams that play like next Wednesday and th- it's like, come on, man, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, hurry up and get us to LA. Everybody, everybody's, everybody's ready to go because that weekend you, you get exhausted trying to soak in all that goes on all-star weekend. And then by Tuesday afternoon, you realize we only got, ex- you know, we only got, this many weeks before the playoffs, you know, so every the, the entire focus changes for right everybody. All star is always the trade deadline. Yeah, it was like a week after, and then yeah, then it's like all right, this is this is who everyone's going with. Let's go. So yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready, and I I will forgive Kelly Dwyer for not drinking sweet tea, um, because he lives in in one of my favorite towns. West Lafayette is a fantastic town, by the way. Um, you know, it's not uh, it's not on the must must see list for a lot of places, but uh, I spent some quality time there. Played a little one on one with uh, with Glenn Robinson when I was in college. <laughs> Long story, I have to tell you about it. Uh, no, we played one on one at at Mackey Arena. Um, <laughs> yes. How many points did he spot you? Uh, I got it's worse than how many points he spotted me. <laughs> I would shoot from the court and have. I don't know if you have ever seen the court at Purdue. It has like a a moat around it, basically. Okay. Um, on both sides of the floor, you know, that goes down probably three feet. Uh-huh. I would shoot from the the floor, the actual floor. He would shoot from the moat and beat me. <laughs> so it was classic. <laughs> it was classic, man. My my first cousin played at Purdue the same time he was there. Um, his name's Justin Jennings. So like, I would be coming home or going to school, and I would stop in West Lafayette and hang out. You know, crash at his. 
his uh, his apartment or condo, whatever they had at the time. And uh, I'd go to practice and just kind of burn some time waiting for them to get out of practice. And one of the years he was there, uh, Glenn Robinson was sitting out, you know, because he had to sit out one year before right. he started playing. So they, that year he was sitting out, you know, he'd be at practice, but he couldn't actually go through a full practice, basically, the way the way I understood it. And, was he a uh, prop 48? I don't even know if it was 48 or 42 or something, whatever the rule, rule was back then. But uh, so he he would be shooting after they would finish practice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I would my, – my thing was like, well – you know, I'll 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 play horse with him. You know, like let's get it on. And uh, he's like, "You shoot from up there on the floor. I'm gonna go down here in the moat and shoot. And uh, you know, we'll play horse." And like, I'd have H O R by the time he got down to the moat. You know what I mean? Because he's stroking from deep. It was it was highly embarrassing. I'm so glad there was no uh, video cameras around and nobody taping. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I'm again I'm glad Kelly Dwyer joined us because we had been wanting to get him on here. And did, uh, did you ever ask Big Dog about that later? Yeah, I, I've seen him. Yeah, he li- he lives near me in uh, here in uh, suburban Atlanta. So I mean, I see him around the neighborhood, um, and I've seen him at a restaurant and stuff. So it's funny that you know, because you don't forget somebody you embarrass like that, even if it was an empty <laughs> gym. I don't think you forget that. So he sees you and just gets a big <laughs> smile. Well, I don't I don't know that kicking my tail and horse is on his list of uh, <laughs> greatest accomplishments, accomplishments. <laughs> but it's certainly something I'll never forget. Right. Uh, right. But again, like I said, I'm just glad there was no cameras around to uh, capture that because it would be pretty embarrassing right now. Uh, Lang, our next guest uh, is a, is a guy who has kept me busy uh, the last week. Uh, Dave Thomas from the NBA has uh, a crew of guys that he had. You know, he kind of oversaw this project, the Kobe Top Tens plays. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen them on the Hangtime blog, Lang. I have, but it's a it's a series. You know, year by year look at Kobe's top ten plays, which I don't. I don't realize. I don't think Dave realizes the can of worms he's opened now because now the fans are clamoring for top tens of every, all their favorite players, you know, from over their careers. So he's gonna have a lot of work to do if if, if the fans have anything to say about it. But uh, Dave, we wanted to ask you, and, and we appreciate you coming on with us. But we wanted to ask you guys, what what prompted you to do this? What what started the? What was the bug that got this thing going on this Kobe top ten plays? Well, I think just. Um you know, um, with the All-Star in L.A. this year, we were looking for something that sort of just brought it to L.A., but then something that was also really compelling, and we felt like this was the uh, the best sort of avenue to um, do something cool with our archive of content and um, and and tie it into the the All-Star in some capacity, even though it's not truly All-Star content. Sure, sure. Now, and how many guys total? Like, how many editors did it take to sit down and pour over all of this footage to to come up with these top ten plays? Um, we had we had about five guys who were kind of you know rotating and doing different things and kind of digging through doing a lot of the research and then um, and then starting to compile these lists. So um, we broke it down and had different guys working on different years, and then we sort of uh, used that same group of people and brought in other people to sort of uh, have a forum to decide you know where all those plays would sort of rate um, because that's you know it's all perspective really sure. with these plays so i mean you could have done the top 50 i don't think anybody complained the way they're talking about <laughs> <laughs> how did you did you guys have like did you have a list to go off of or, or how did you com- come up with you know hey let's look for this shot or that shot well the way that we did is we you know we log all of our games so um, yeah. we have we have our we call it media archive which is our um 
digital media management system where we archive all of our our games and log them all. So so we have every Kobe play um, logged in the system theoretically, and there's wow. you know there's about forty two thousand total uh, <laughs> total clips of Kobe. You know, not all plays, but um, but mostly. So. Um, you know, so that's sort of our first and foremost, you know, source of searching the archive because that's theoretically every play that he's has been logged um, into the system. So we start there, and then we've utilized some other um, things that we've done in the past. We started in '91 doing um, top 10 plays of the week for we mm-hmm. call it the courtside countdown, um, and um, so so we use that as another resource just you know just in case because as I said, everybody has their own sort of. Uh, perspective on plays and whether they're great or not great so um so we like to cover ourselves and then um and then we also go through our b-rolls over the years we used to compile b-rolls of players um every year and so we you know so we kind of used all three methods and then combined them all together and then you know got all of the best plays on a timeline and then started to get the group together and kind of you know go through them um, case by case, and you know it's complicated because you're you have to keep you know the sort of the highlight specific stuff in perspective to the you know playoff specific stuff in terms of the moments and how big of a you know moment it was. So we'd like to try to find some balance there between the two, so that you're not you're not all playoff highlights and you're not all just straight highlights and eliminating some of the you know maybe in a normal situation would be just an average shot, but because it's, you know, to win a game or something that obviously elevates it to another level. Sure. Dave, if, if you're starting with 42,000 clips, I mean, I don't even want to think about the man hours this takes to, to, to go through all this stuff, but have you, have you guys thought at all? And I, and I know I'm, there are, there are probably a lot of spouses that are going to be upset when I even bring this up, but have you thought about some of the other players we could do this for? Because, this thing's been a hit. I mean, people are—I I can't remember anything firing people up as much. Kobe obviously is, a, is the kind of player that that draws a lot of attention and is going to have his his supporters and the people who don't support him or the people who think you. Anytime you praise Kobe, you're saying that he's better than jo- Michael Jordan. Is there anybody else that would you think would be an interesting subject to do this on? That's maybe currently playing right now. Oh, I think there's quite a few of them. I mean, obviously LeBron would uh, would be a very interesting one, and uh, yeah. uh, D Wade would not be terrible. And uh, <laughs> so there's, I mean, I think I think as you said, there's there probably could be quite a long list of uh, people that would be uh, interested in seeing some of these things. So um, we're, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we're certainly uh, open to to looking at some of these things. Yeah, once, like you, a, once you recover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and tell us how long of a process was it? like from the time you guys first sat down and had your your initial discussion about this until the, these videos were all ready to to roll out. Like, how long was that process? Um, it's I, I think we started discussing it in in about November, and then we really started to ramp it up in December. And like I said, you know, a lot of this work is being done. Um, already just you know by the logging and you know the rating system that we have associated with our logging um so so there's you know a lot of stuff that's that's already happening that we we were able to leverage but we definitely um starting you know in december spent a good amount of time in december and then obviously in january we really ramped it up to try to get these things um together and in shape for starting to launch them or release them dave do you think that uh you know, if you if you look back at this project and maybe 
you know, going forward. Do you think that there's something specific about watching a guy's clips from, from way back when? Because I've, I've been around, obviously, watching the league since Kobe came in. And until I saw these videos, I'd totally forgotten what an – I mean, I, knew he's, I know he was an explosive guy when he first came in the league, but I didn't realize it until I saw it on film how explosive he was. Did you guys go back and look at this and, and almost kind of relearn some things about Kobe maybe that you've forgotten about? Yeah, I mean, we always, it's funny as we, you know, as we go through the stuff and uh, look at these plays, it's, you get a lot of that. I didn't even remember that play, you know, and it's like, how could I have forgotten that? You know, we have a lot of guys who are, you know, have in the memory bank, you know, his top 100 plays and, you know, or right. think they do anyways. And, um, and you start to bring out some of these and that's, that's one of the interesting things about it is it's, you know, it's impossible to remember all of those plays and, you know. For every one of those plays, there's probably five others that were relatively similar. Yeah. Um, just you know, maybe not quite as good. So it's you know, Kobe's a, a rare one in terms of the the amount of you know incredible highlights he has. But it's uh, it's pretty amazing because there's there's always those gems you know for every year that sort of pop out and you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we listen from the from the bottom of our hang time hearts. We appreciate it. It's been. Like I said, it's been doing great buzz on the Hangtime blog all week, and we look forward to the rest of them coming out, rolling out uh, between now and All-Star Weekend in Los Angeles. We owe you one, sir. We appreciate it so much. Sounds great. We're glad to help. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks, sir. Lang, I, I like the LeBron idea. Mm-hmm. I think LeBron, you know, the one the one problem with these Kobe videos, and, and I've gotten a lot of venom from people about it, is they think because you post a video saying, man, look how great Kobe was, blah, 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 you're, you're stepping on the toes of Michael Jordan all the time. I mean, it is, you don't even have to mention Jordan's name. And it starts an argument with people like, well, yeah, he's no Jordan. Or, well, yeah, his highlights weren't better than Jordan's. And it's like, I, I didn't even mention Jordan. You know, you don't even bring <laughs> Jordan's name into the conversation. To me, that that alone tells me that, we, you know, you have to have that conversation about Kobe being the closest thing maybe we've seen to Jordan in terms of not his, just his game, but his career, his accomplishments. And I certainly don't think Kobe surpasses Michael Jordan in any facet. I mean, I don't. I, I think they're two yeah. two different players, but I think Kobe certainly is in the conversation. We posted earlier this week um, on SlamOnline.com the new cover, and it's Kobe. Um, and it's the issue that will be out for All-Star Weekend. Uh-huh. So, you know, we talked about it. We've been talking about this for months. Like, All-Star Weekend, it's L.A., we got to do Kobe. Right. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I've been out to L.A. One of the times I was out there was to work on this story. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I wrote about was how I think right now Kobe is more respected than he's been at any point in his career. I, I know people still aren't fans of his or, you know, there's always the Kobe fans. Then there's the right. people who, who don't like Kobe. But I think now more than ever, you, the people who, even if you're not a fan of Kobe, you're like, well, I'm not a fan of Kobe, but man, that guy is good. Right. You know, like you don't, you don't want him with the ball, with the game uh, <laughs> close coming down the stretch because yeah. you know what he can do and you know what a good player he is. Uh, and just, he's become um, such a complete, player like like you said you watch those old clips and he was super athletic oh and now he's now it's a lot of step throughs and change of pace and these yeah. other kind of savvy moves that yeah. it works you know he still makes it work I'm, i mean i the thing that struck me and micah and i were playing around with one of them on saturday 
um, one of the videos, the evolution of his game from and I and I nicknamed him Afro Kobe or Crazy Eight Kobe. Like when he when he was young and he had to throw and he had the any time I saw the wristband on his arm, you know, like on his left arm cocked up on the bicep, mm-hmm. and he had the throw. It was like get ready for something just ridiculous. 360 dunk in traffic. I mean, some of the stuff he would do then is so crazy to me, like so fantastic. Yeah. And then you see him now, and he's so measured, like, you know, and he has to be. Physically, the body at 33 doesn't do what it did at 17 or, you know, or even 23. Yeah. So I understand a part of that is the age and wear and tear that you do on your body. You know, nobody jumps the way, you know, as high 10 years of their career as they did you know, in the first year, first couple of years, it's just, it's just not physically possible. But the fact that he can, that his game has evolved to this point where he can be so effective, you know, in any kind of situation to me is the, the real thing that stands out when you look at the videos from 90, you know, from 97 and yeah. 98 and then 2007 and 2008. You know, Ron Artest told me, I, and I started to bring up how Kobe's, his game has changed as he's gotten older and his body has changed. And, and I said something about physically and Ron cut me off. He's like, no, no, don't, it has nothing to do with being physical. He's always been one of the smartest guys. Even when he yeah. was crazy physical, he was really smart back then too. Yeah. And he's like, you know, don't, don't make it about being physical. It, it's, it's mental. That's why he's so good. He's, he's so smart and he really understands the game and, and that's what makes him so good. Yeah. Well, I mean, in closing, and again, we need to thank uh, Kelly Dwyer, Jamal Crawford of the Atlanta Hawks, Dave Thomas of the NBA, uh, for, for joining us on, on the Hang Time podcast today. I, I have to admit, I was I was a late Kobe convert. Um, early in his career, I thought he was so brash, and he was and he was so, you know, uh, willing to say I'm going to be great when he was a young player that it kind of it kind of made me look at him sideways, like who does this kid think he is? But now, <laughs> having watched him all these years, and and after many arguments with Tyron Lue. Who played with Michael Jordan and Kobe, and and used to always tell me because my big argument against him was he thinks he's Jordan, but he's not, or you know he wants to be Jordan, he's not. That wasn't ever the issue, according to Tyron Lue. You know, it's not the case. So I'm I'm gonna give Kobe his due now, and uh, and and let him have the stage because it's his show now to me. I think so. He, you know, and another thing that was interesting to me was I. I talked to Brian Shaw a lot about Kobe, and, and he said that when Kobe walks out there on the court with with the Lakers, every guy on that team becomes a better player because they know they have this guy has their back out there. And they're like, I've got the best guy in the league with me, you know, and, and it, it makes the whole team better. Yeah, I think that's the one – that may be the one thing that only he and the all-time greats understand too is that, you know – that one player who makes that kind of difference on the floor, you know, what is there, maybe one or two of those guys in there? Yeah. You know, truly, when he hits the floor every night, 82 games, you know, during a regular season, every night of the year, he's that, you know. I, my, and, and we need to wrap this up, but I'll tell you, my the time I really gained a new appreciation for Kobe is realizing that every night he hits the floor, he's not only the center of attention on the court, but like the entire crowd. Mm-hmm is locked in on him. Like, they had a game here in Atlanta a couple years ago where he and Joe Johnson were kind of, you know, Micah, I'm sure you were there, where Joe was, it was like, oh, Joe's going to step up and go at Kobe tonight. And it was like, uh, 
you know, Joe would make a hard shot, and then Kobe would make a shot with a degree of difficulty like 10 times higher. It's like, okay, that's the difference between a really good player in the NBA and, a, you know, one of these legendary type guys. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've turned the corner on Kobe, and uh, if you want to check out all of these Kobe videos, you got to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com because we got them going up every day between now and All-Star Weekend. So When, is, when are the Seku Smith highlight packages going up on uh, uh they're on youtube now uh <laughs> but uh you can't they're restricted access uh oh, okay. yeah lane kraus is working on the uh the audio and the, some other stuff that has to go on my videos so just stay tuned people <laughs> <laughs> but listen lang next time i see you i mean I'm, I'm sure we'll talk again obviously this week and then on on the podcast next week but next time i see you you won't be the only cat in la just you know just want to make that clear we'll both be in la I've been scouting out for you. I appreciate it. <laughs> hope you got some. Hope you got some places we can hit up and uh, get some sweet tea. You know, get some sweet tea, have some fun, and uh, hang out a little bit while we're out there. I got it. All right, man. See you next time, folks, on the Hang Time Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show. Visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time Blog on NBA.com, and for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. Follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at Seku Smith NBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 